take your Bibles this morning, and uh, we want to end the service with a few moments of preaching. Matthew chapter number 27 in your Bibles, and uh, I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you a little ahead of time, you know, after pastoring this church for over 31 years, you know, there's some outlines, there, there's some messages that you preach, and you look at the outline and you think, oh man, that is going to preach right there, that is going to preach. And then there are other outlines you look at and you think, man, I don't know if that's going to preach or not. But it's just absolutely as vital as the ones that you don't feel like, you know, we're going to shout about quite as much. And, and so I want you to hear me out on this subject, why God didn't deliver Jesus and so let's look in our Bibles today, Matthew chapter number 27 in your Bibles. And when you find your place, let's all uh, stand, if you're able, that is, uh, out of respect for the reading of God's Word and give you one last opportunity to stretch your legs. We're going to start in verse number 35, uh, Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 35. The Bible says, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others himself, he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If He will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You may be seated this morning. A few days ago, the Lord gave me this thought. And uh, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure I was getting ready. I was getting ready to go somewhere or something. I was in the restroom, maybe shaving or getting ready. And the Holy Spirit gave me this thought. Maybe, maybe we were getting ready to go to bed. Maybe that's what it was. And it was, late, it was late at night one night. And I was in the restroom. We were getting ready to call it a night. And the Holy Spirit gave me this thought. And I, I went to my office and I jotted down a few notes and the Holy Spirit began to really develop this in my spirit. And, and I began to study it out here in the, in the Bible. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about this subject, why God didn't deliver Jesus. And so let's go to the Lord and we'll jump into this Bible study, which is really what this is. It's a Bible study more than a preaching sermon today. But I hope it'll be a help and I hope it'll make sense to you today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your blessings. And uh, Lord, what a great service. And thank you for the good music, the good congregational uh, singing. And Lord, the choir just did such a great job today. And then Lord, I'm so thankful for that special. It encouraged so many people, including this pastor. 
And uh, Lord, that, that, that just helped me. It just helped me, Lord. And I, I just appreciate your presence and your spirit. And now, Lord, as we take just a few moments and as we focus on the word of God, uh, we know it's quicker and, and power, more powerful than a, a sharp, sharp, any sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, we know that this book uh, transforms us and it, uh, and it uh, helps us and it encourages us and it edifies us and it helps us to have the mind of Jesus. And so I pray, Father, that you'd help this book to come alive in our hearts and our lives and our spirits and our homes today. Uh, Lord, fill us with the Spirit of God now, and I pray that I would communicate this in the way that you communicated it with me, and I pray that you'll be pleased, Father, and that Jesus will receive glory and praise from all that's done. And Father, if there might be one here today that does not know, they don't know for sure, they're on their way to heaven, I pray today would be the day that they would come to Christ, Lord, that they would open their heart to him, and they would let him come in and save their soul today and write their name in heaven. So help us please now. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We pray and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Well, this is the story, of course, of the crucifixion of our blessed Savior. It's, uh, it is a, uh, a story that is being somewhat neglected in churches across America today. Uh, churches don't like to preach on the cross uh, sometimes pastors will say, we don't, you know, we don't preach that. We don't preach that. Uh, they call it a slaughterhouse religion. We don't preach that slaughterhouse religion. Uh, it was a bloody cross. It, it was, uh, uh, it, it was uh, we, we, get the, we, we say the word uh, excruciating. Uh, we get that word from the cross. We get that word from the crucifixion. Excruciating, something that's uh, almost too terrible to even talk about. And that's how the cross was. Uh, it was absolutely excruciating for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in this story that we read about his sacrificial death, his vicarious death. And when we say vicarious, that just means that Jesus Christ did something that you and I were supposed to be doing. And Jesus died in our place. That's really what that means. I like what Dr. Tom Williams said. He said, whenever your heart gets cold, run to John 19 and read about the cross. Now, we're not in John 19 today, but we are in Matthew chapter 27. And John 19 and Matthew 27 uh, correspond together. And they talk about the same cross and the same crucifixion and the same Savior that was involved in that crucifixion that day. And I want us to take just a few moments today, and I want us to look into the crucifixion and maybe in a way that we've never We've never saw it before, at least in my, in my own personal life. I never really saw the cross like I'm going to present it to you today. And I hope that it'll make sense and I hope that it, it'll be a blessing. Several things that I want to draw out about the, uh, about the passage that we read today in Matthew chapter 27. And the first one, as you can see on the screen, is what I'm going to call the timing of the cross. The timing of the cross. Now look, if you will, at Matthew 27 and verse number 46. The Bible says in about the ninth hour, notice that, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So we know something. We know that it's the ninth hour that Jesus cried out with a loud, a loud voice. Now, the ninth hour, what, what, what is that talking about, Pastor? The ninth hour. Well, that ninth hour is uh, talking about three o'clock in the afternoon. 
And so about three o'clock in the afternoon, the Lord Jesus Christ cried out and he cried out in absolute agony. Now think about this. He's been on the cross at least since nine o'clock in the morning. We know that because of Mark's gospel. That's why we ought to rightly divide the scriptures. Mark chapter number 15, verse 25, the Bible says, and it was the third hour then they crucified him. So the Lord Jesus Christ has had nails in his hands and nails in his feet, and he's been on the cross at least since nine o'clock in the morning. And now it's three, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and he cries out with, a, with an agonizing cry. Now I wanna point out a few things here today. Can I remind us of several things? Number one, can I remind us that the Lord Jesus has been awake all night, all night long. He's had no, had no rest. He didn't go home and, and lay down for a little while. He, he is, uh, and you say, well, he's God. You're, you're right about that, but he's also man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. He's what we call the incarnation. He's the incarnate son of God. He is divinity enrobed in human flesh. And so God, Jesus, never put off his divinity to come to earth. But I'm gonna tell you something. He was all man. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to be weary. And the Lord Jesus Christ has been awake all night long. By the time he cries out at three o'clock, he's been beaten by the soldiers. They brought him in and mocked him. They put a, a, a robe on him and they tore that robe off and they put another robe on him and they have, they have each come by and they have beaten him as he's, he's been blindfolded. They have spat upon him. Isaiah chapter 50 verse number six tells us that they have plucked out the beard from his face. I'm talking about literally they have plucked out uh, parts of his beard. Psalm 22 tells us that his bones have become disjointed on the cross, which by the way was not unheard of. It happened quite a bit when they would nail that man to the cross and then drop that cross into that pre-dug hole. Oftentimes his bones would come out of joint. We know that happened to the Savior because Psalm 22 and verse 14 tells us that. He's been crowned with thorns and, uh, and his precious body has been savagely scourged, probably with a cat of nine tails. And uh, they, uh, historians tell us that oftentimes when a man was scourged, he never made it to the cross because he lost so much blood just by the scourging that he died before he ever got to the cross. And so the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is without sleep. He's been beaten. He's been abused. He has been, uh, been uh, uh, treated terribly. He's been crowned with a crown of thorns and he's been scourged with a cat of nine tails. Now, he cries out at three o'clock in the afternoon, having been in this condition for a long, long time. And, uh, and I just said all that to say this, you know, folks, it had to seem like an eternity. It had to. It had to. Uh, listen, have you ever done this? Have you ever been involved in something that, that you didn't want to be involved in, something that was really distasteful? You dreaded it. You dreaded getting involved in it, but you knew you had to do it. And so you bit the bullet and you know you went on and you, and you did this thing, but it just seemed like it would never end. It seemed like the day would never get through. It just seemed like it just drug out and drug out and drug out. Again, I'm just trying to make a point here. The Lord Jesus Christ has been on the cross for many hours and he cries out in absolute agony. But listen to this. God did not intervene. His own son is crying out in excruciating pain and yet God does not intervene. 
I want to show you something else. Not only the timing, but number two, we notice the talk of the Savior. Look back at Matthew 27 again. I thought this was pretty interesting. Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, notice this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, one of the things we, we see there is that the Lord Jesus Christ uses the words, my God, twice, twice. You say, Pastor, why, why was that? Well, some believe that this statement, my God, my God, is pointing to the Trinity, to the triune God. In other words, here the, the Son of God is hanging on the cross of Calvary between heaven and earth, and the Son of God says, my God, Heavenly Father, my God, Holy Spirit. Then there are some who believe this, and I'm gonna be honest, I lean toward this. Some believe that this is indicative of Christ's deep and abiding love for his heavenly Father. In other words, throughout the Bible, whenever you, and we find it numerous times more than I can give you today, but whenever you find a double name used in Scripture, usually it's a sign of genuine concern for that individual. Let me give you a perfect example. You don't have to turn there, but it's in 2 Samuel 19. David's son Absalom has risen up in, re in, in rebellion and revolution against him. And then David hears, David, David receives the news that Absalom has died. Absalom's been killed. He's hanging from a tree and Absalom has been killed. And in 2 Samuel 19 and verse four, David says those famous words, oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That, that double use of the name there is indicative of somebody that cares deeply for somebody. The Lord Jesus Christ is on the Mount of Olives and he's looking out over Jerusalem and Jerusalem is involved in all type of sin and, and paganism and heathenism and the Lord Jesus Christ looks out over Jerusalem with a burdened heart and in Matthew 23, he says it like this, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How many remember the story over in Luke chapter 22 where the Lord Jesus Christ is burdened for Simon and he knows that Simon has become the target of the devil and the Lord Jesus Christ says to Simon in Luke 22 and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. We find that over and over again. We find the words Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, Martha, Martha. You see, when Jesus uses God's name in succession, it's because he loves his father so deeply. My God, my God. You say, preacher, I believe it was because he was, he, he was talking about the Trinity. Maybe so, but I, I really believe that it was, it was God who was so connected to his heavenly father. And it shows, it shows us passion and love, and yet church, I want you to hear this. God knows that his son is in terrible anguish and he knows that Jesus desires to have sweet communion and yet God doesn't step in. Y'all follow me so far? So we see the timing of the cross and we see the talk of the Savior. I wanna show you something else. Number, number three, we see the triumph available. What are, you, what are you talking about, Pastor? 
Did you know that Jesus reminds his disciples that if he desires, his father will send 12 legions of angels to set him free. Listen to, listen to Matthew 26. In fact, you're in Matthew 27, aren't you? So just turn back a page and look at Matthew 26 and verse number 53. Here they are in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, here comes this uh, mob, you know, to take the Lord away. And you remember the story. Peter pulls out his sword and he whacks off the ear of Malchus. And, uh, and the Lord Jesus says to Peter, Peter, put up your sword. Live by the sword, die by the sword. And he says to Peter in Matthew 26, 53, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently, immediately, he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels, more than 12 legions of angels. Now, what does that mean, preacher? Listen, a Roman legion consisted of at least 6,000 soldiers. And those 6,000 legionnaires were trained to kill and Jesus says to, to Peter, Peter, don't you understand? <laughs> They're not taking my life from me. I'm giving it up. You understand that if I wanted to, I could just speak the word and the heavenly father right now would send us 72,000 angels. Now, I was trying to figure out a way I could put this in perspective for you. So I looked this up. The Bank of America Stadium down in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the, uh, uh, where, where the uh, Carolina Panthers play, holds just about 75,000 people. If you've ever been down there, you know what I'm talking about. Just a massive place, 75,000 people. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, don't you understand that if I won't at this very instant, I've just got to say the word. I don't even have to say the word. And the Father will send 72,000 angels. You say significant? Yeah, I'd say. I just, I'll just give you the reference. 2 Kings 19, did you know the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 19? that God sent one angel, one angel killed 185,000 men. One angel came and wiped out a whole army. And so put that in perspective, Jesus says, Peter, you understand that if, if I wanted, I could summon 72, over 72,000 angels and I wouldn't need but one. He said, if I want, they could literally annihilate they could annihilate mankind if they wanted to. And yet, God didn't step in. Hey, I want, to show you, I want to show you one more thing here real quickly. How about this? We notice the testimony of Christ. Not only the timing of the cross and the talk of the Savior and the triumph available, but we notice the testimony of Christ. You say, Pastor, what are you, what are you talking about when you say the testimony of Christ? Did you know the testimony of Christ was that Jesus was always successful in getting his prayers answered? In fact, show me a time in Scripture when he did not. Jesus always got his prayers answered. In fact, listen to what he said in John 11, and verse 41, the Bible says, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, verse 42, and I knew that thou hearest me always. You know what Jesus was saying? I always get my prayers answered. So you understand that all Jesus had to do was just pray. It's not a question of, is he going to get his prayers answered? What are you talking about? Jesus always gets his prayers answered. 
And yet we find here that God did not step in. An almighty God did not intervene. His heavenly father did not rescue his son from the cross. You say, okay, preacher, big deal. Yes, very big. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. All those things were available to the son of God and yet God did not step in. He did not take Jesus down. He did not rescue his son. He did not intervene. Do you know why he did not? Because my dear friend, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he was suffering your hell. And he was suffering my hell. Listen to what our Bible says in Hebrews chapter two and verse number nine. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. You understand what's going on, why the Son of God is on the cross? You understand why God didn't come through? You understand why God did not intervene? You understand why God did not send 72,000 angels? Because while Jesus hung on the cross with those nails in his hands and those nails in his feet and the crown of thorns on his head and the blood gushing from his body, my dear friend, Jesus Christ was suffering my hell and Jesus Christ was suffering your hell. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. And I want you to notice several verses with me this morning. Isaiah 53. This is, a, this is a, of course, uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesying about that day that would take place when Jesus went to the cross. And it gives us great detail here. Isaiah 53. And look at verse number three. The Bible says he, the Lord Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men, a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. And he, he was despised and, and we esteemed him not. Look at verse four though. The Bible says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Same chapter, but I want you to skip down to verse number 10 with me today, if you will. Verse number 10, the Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Look at the next line. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he, Jesus, for he shall bear their iniquities. Listen, friend, when Jesus Christ, oh man, I wish, I wish, I wish I was a better preacher. I wish I could get this through to you somehow. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was there for you. He was there for me. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your background is. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your future. I'm just telling you, when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, he was there for you. And he became our sin bearer. That sin that we were supposed to bear that punishment we were supposed to bear, that, that crucifixion we were supposed to bear for our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ bore it for us and God did not intervene because Christ was suffering our hell. By the way, for those who reject Christ and choose hell, 
Don't expect God to intervene for you either. We say, preacher, I believe. I'm just gonna keep living the way I'm living. I'll go to hell for a little while and then the Lord will take me out. There's a huge problem with that. Number one, it's not in the scripture. But number two, if God would not rescue his own son who was suffering our hell, what makes you think he's gonna rescue you? Now, I'm studying this out, and we're almost done, but I'm studying this out. I'm studying the crucifixion out, and I'm thinking, wow, Lord, I've never, I never noticed some of these things. I never noticed that there are some things associated with the cross that are going to be synonymous with hell. Jesus was bearing our hell, and if you start thinking about it like that, and then you begin to read the story of the crucifixion, man, it all starts making sense. Well, you say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, how about this? Darkness was associated with the cross. Look in your Bibles. Matthew 27, verse 44. Matthew 27, 44. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. Now that's, that's interesting. From noon... From the middle of the day until three o'clock, there's total darkness. And I looked that up. It is the, that, that word darkness is the Greek word skodos, and it means of night darkness. Are y'all with me? It's not supposed to get dark like the night from noon till three. And I want to tell you something, Calvary. If tomorrow at 12 o'clock it gets pitch dark, you better make sure your ticket is stamped and you're ready to go because something's not right. And the Bible tells us that it gets dark. It gets, it gets night dark. It gets pitch dark from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. By the way, and, and, and I, that tells us something else. People say, well, preacher, I would believe what you preach if God would show me a sign. No, you wouldn't. If you want to accept it by faith, you want to accept it by a sign. And so God sends absolute pitch black darkness from noon till three, and yet these men are still blaspheming Jesus. They're still blaspheming God. God sent darkness because Jesus was suffering our hell. And church, I want to tell us, hell will be a place of darkness. Matthew eight twelve. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22 and verse 13, and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. Matthew 25, 30, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Second Peter chapter two, verse four, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment, hell's gonna be a place of darkness. Why did God send darkness uh, the day of the crucifixion? Well, one of the reasons is this, because Jesus Christ was suffering our hell. Hell's gonna be a dark place. I know what your friends say. Well, you know what? You go ahead and live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. We're gonna keep on partying hard and drinking it up and doping it up and smoking it up. And one of these days, me and my buddies are going to hell or we're gonna take over. Let me tell you something, friend. When you get to hell, you won't take over. Amen. Good preaching, brother. 
And when you get to hell, it'll be dark. Dark. You say, preach, you mean dark as far as light's concerned? Yeah. But I'm going to tell you how else it's going to be dark. Look at this. Not only was darkness associated with the cross, man, this next one gets really scary. Jesus is suffering our hell. We notice that darkness is associated with the cross. We notice that devils are associated with the cross. Did you know in the days leading up to the cross, there was a major spiritual battle going on? What do you, what do you, what do you mean, preacher? Did you know that, that, the, that the powers of darkness were doing everything they could do to try to, to, try to, to thwart the plan of God? They didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. They wanted to kill him before he got there. They, they didn't want the plan of salvation to be, to be carried out. And there was a, a demonic, devilish warfare that was going on. I'm telling you, church, uh, devils were present the day of the cross. Listen to this. Listen to Colossians 2 and verse 14. The Bible says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was signed against us, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and it took, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, uh, triumphing over them in it. In other words, that very day on the cross, Jesus triumphed over devils. Devils were there. They were there at the cross. They were there. Boy, so many stories I could tell you right now. But I'll just suffice it to say this. They'll also be in hell. There's coming a day when God will take every devil, every demon, and he will banish them to hell forever. And really, to be quite honest with you, hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for you. But our Bible's very clear about that. Somebody who rejects the Son, somebody who rejects salvation, they will spend eternity in a devil's hell. Can you imagine, church? Can you imagine for all of eternity being surrounded and encompassed with demonic spirits? You say, Pastor, you're trying to scare me. You got that right. And you ought to be scared. Boy, devil's nothing to mess, nothing to mess with. And, but, but again, interesting. Jesus is suffering our hell on the cross. Darkness is associated with the cross. Devils were associated with the cross. Look at this. Division was associated with the cross. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus felt as if God had totally separated himself from the Son. In my opinion, this is, I believe, going to be the worst thing about hell. You say, hey, take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, I want to show you this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
You say, Brother Pope, where do you stand on hell? Do you believe there's going to be fire in hell? I do believe there's going to be fire in hell. I believe there's going to be, I believe there's way too many scriptures to point to that. I believe there's going to be weeping. I believe there's going to be wailing. I believe there's going to be gnashing of teeth. You say, wow, pastor, I wish you'd get off this. Well, that's our problem in America. We got off of it. And it's about time we get back on it again. That's why we're not seeing people saved. It's why there's no revivals breaking out. It's why we come to church one way and we leave the same way. Because we sort of got away from preaching that there is a heaven, but there is a hell. There's a hell to ga- a heaven to gain, but there's a hell to shun. And so, yes, I do. I, I believe that fire is going to be in hell. I, I believe it's going to be a place of darkness. I believe it's going to be a place where every demonic spirit is going to be caged and imprisoned. I believe that it's going to be a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I believe it's going to be a place where the worm dieth not. I, I believe it's going to be a, a terrible place, but I honestly believe this. I don't believe those things are going to be the worst thing about hell. I believe the worst thing about hell will be eternal separation from a loving heavenly father. Hey, you got to see this. You got to see it. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter one. Look at verse number eight. The Bible says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, please look at verse number nine, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Look at the next word. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And if that's not understandable enough, look what he says after the comma, and from the glory of his power. Hey, church, did you know that God is light? There'll be no light in hell. Did you know that God is love? No love in hell. That God is peace, joy, and happiness? None of those things are gonna be in hell, and we're done. But hear me, don't you think, don't you think, with God that loved his son with a greater love than you and I could even ever understand, don't you think, that God would have intervened at the cross? Don't you think that God would have took his son down? Don't you think God would have sent 72,000 angels? But God did not because his son was suffering our hell. And my dear friend, if you die, especially after hearing a message like this, if you die without Jesus Christ and go to a Christless hell, God will not, never will, don't expect it to happen, God will not, intervene for you either. You say, Pastor, I believe in purgatory. Chapter and verse. Because that's what I believe. I've always been taught that. Chapter and verse. It's not in there. And if you go to hell, you'll be there forever and ever 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 and ever. Young man had rebelled against his upbringing and got just angry, got angry with life, angry with his folks, his parents, angry with God. And he finally got to that place. They said, you know what? I just, I just wish that I could just get away from Christians. They make me sick. I wish I could just get away from Christians. And so he did everything he could to try to, to, try to avoid Christians. He went down to 
down to the grocery store. And the aisle next to him, there were a couple old ladies had their buggies, they're pushing their buggies and getting groceries. And they began to strike up a conversation about the goodness of the Lord. Oh, isn't God good? God's so good. Oh, I'm so glad I'm saved. Oh, he got mad. Man, he stormed out of the grocery store and he made his way to a restaurant and, and he thought, man, I just want to get away from Christians. And he sat down at this restaurant and just a table or two over was a little family. And before they, before they dug in, they, they all bowed their heads and they said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for how you've provided for us. Oh, he got so mad and he stormed out of the, stormed out of the, the restaurant and he said, man, I'm just going to go over here. And he said, I'm going to get on a ship. And he said, I'm going to get on a cruise. And he said, I'm going to get out there, you know, the bars and, and uh, casinos and, and drinking and corrals. I'm just going to get out in the middle of the ocean, get away from these Christians. And, he, and so he went to the cruise port and he bought him a ticket and he got on the cruise. And he got way out in the ocean only to realize there was a Christian convention convening on the ship. <laughs> Everywhere he turned, people were talking about the Lord. Everywhere he turned, man, they were teaching the Bible. Everywhere he turned, man, they were giving thanks and praising the Lord for his goodness. And oh, he was so bitter. He was so angry. And he said, You Christians make me sick. He said, I wish I could just go somewhere where there's no Christians. And one of those Christians spoke up and said, Well, just go to hell. Because you won't have to worry about any there. Well, I can imagine. And if you're, here, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I am on my way to heaven. I'm gonna tell you what I'd do. Man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even wait till the music starts. I'd run, I'd just run. Because between the time I pray and between the, between the time they start playing an instrument, Jesus may come. I'm telling you, church, it could happen. We say we're coming back tonight. We don't know we're coming back tonight. By the way, they say they're going to the Super Bowl. They don't know they're going to the Super Bowl. Jesus may come. And if you're here this morning and you say, Brother Pope, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure about heaven. I'd get down to this altar as fast as I could. And I'd, I'd open my heart to Jesus and let Jesus come in. Would you bow your heads with me all over the house? Father, we love you. And Father, thank you for this admonition that we've heard today. Lord, I never thought about it like that. Why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God rescue his son? Why didn't God step in? Why didn't God send 72,000 angels? Why? Because his son was suffering my hell. Father, maybe there's somebody here today on their way to hell, but they don't want to go there. They want to be in heaven. Father, today I pray that you'd work in their heart. And Lord, I pray that nobody would leave this place not knowing that they know that they know that they're on their way to heaven. Lord, do that today, please. Holy Spirit, have your will and way, please. And we thank you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. A couple questions. Without anybody looking around, just for a moment. How many are here right now would say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. And if that's you and you say, Preacher, I know, I know that, 
very quietly without anybody looking. I want you to slip your hand up right now, preacher. I know that I am saved. Praise the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful. Personal workers, can you all go ahead and make your way to the altar, please? How many are here this morning, though, and you'd say, Brother Pope, if I died today, I'm not sure I would go. Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to even take a chance. Preacher, I want to be in heaven. Without anybody looking, without anybody looking, nobody's looking, and I'm not going to come back and embarrass you in any way, in any way. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm just not sure about heaven, I'm just not sure, would you just right now, very quietly, just slip your hand up, just raise it up and let me pray for you. Would you do that? Just raise it up right now, Pastor. If I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there one? You slip your hand up. Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not sure. I want you to pray for me. Is anybody like that here today? I want to pray for you. Hey, child of God, can I ask you a question? How many have a loved one that's very near and dear to you? And unless something happens, they're probably on their way to hell. You know what would be really great on this February? Let's see, February the 12th, I believe it is. You know what would be really great if some people would say, Pastor, I'm going to stand in the gap for my loved one. I don't want them to go to hell. Pastor, I don't want my mom or my dad or my cousin or my brother, my sister. Some of you might even have children. They're lost without Christ. And they're headed that way. I want to ask you a question, church. Would you be willing to stand in the gap for them today? Would you do that? If so, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and just breathe their name to the Lord of Lords. Would you stand with us all over the house? Father, I thank you for what you're already doing. Holy Spirit, I pray that no one would leave this place not knowing that they're on their way to heaven. God, help nobody to find their way to hell after this service. And then, Father, there are people here today who have people that are very dear to them. And Lord, if something doesn't happen, God, if something drastic doesn't happen, that loved one is on a collision course with a place called hell. But today, Father, today there's some folks that are willing to stand in the gap and stand in the way and say, don't go there. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. God, some moms and daddies that are praying for their children this morning, some grandpas and grandmas that are praying for their grandkids, Lord, a spouse that's praying for their spouse. Oh, Holy Ghost, have your way in this invitation. Lord, please, burden our hearts for the lost. God, please, burden my heart for the lost. Help me to lead by example. God, do a great work in this invitation, please, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How about it?
How about it? Are there others that need to come? You say, Pastor, while you were preaching, I was thinking about somebody, their name. I was thinking about their name. We grew up together. We spent many a day together. They've been over to our house many times, spent the night. We've ate many a meal together. Preacher, they're a good person. But if something doesn't happen, they're on a crash course with hell. Hey, would you stand in the gap for them? 2023. You're here this morning, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand, but I'm not sure I'm saved. Hey, listen, friend. Good night. Whatever you do, don't you leave this place lost. Don't you do that. Please come and let us take God's word and show you how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. Would you come while we wait? Would you come? Lord Jesus, you know what's going on right now. I'm thankful for it too. God, I really believe that this is the kind of thing that's gonna have to happen. Lord, if souls are gonna be averted from hell, oh God, forgive us for our lack of a burden. God, forgive us for our lack of care. Forgive me personally, forgive me. And Lord, help us to be soul winners. God, help us to have a burden for the lost. Help us to be soul conscious. God, help us to let our light shine before our family and our loved ones. And help us to do everything we can do to win them to Jesus. Oh, God, please continue to work now, I pray. We thank you. Hey, folks, they're still on the altars. Anybody else? Anybody else need to come?